Welcome along, my gorgeous, gorgeous listeners, and thank you for tuning in to another live episode of the Glow West podcast, where we chat about sex, sexuality, and the body. I'm your host, Dr. Caroline West, and always, I'm excited to be a part of the Tortoise Shack Network, where you can find tons of content on politics, culture, society, and me with the sex podcast. If you like what we do, please do consider supporting us at patreon.com forward slash tortoise shack or please pop over to Apple and rate and review. You can also drop me a DM on Twitter or Instagram at Glow West Podcast if you have any suggestions or topics that you want to see covered. So tonight for our first live podcast of 2021, I'm joined by an absolutely wonderful guest who's doing really essential work in Ireland around supporting parents and talk to their children about sex. And we'll dive into all of that. So my guest is Sarah Sproul, who is a sex educator and founder of the Sitting in a Car podcast. She helps parents stay connected with their grown kids while having conversations about puberty, bodies and sex. With her easygoing and open manner, Sarah is at the core of a movement to support parents who are struggling with conversations around these sensitive subjects. She's been laying her own foundation for connected conversations with her three kids for almost two decades, and she's also an occupational therapist with a master's in sexuality studies. And she offers some very easy to use practical tips to help thousands of parents who are now confidently raising young people who can respect themselves and the people around them. How lovely to create that world, Sarah. Thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, I feel like so honoured to be here. I'm oh. grateful for the invitation. You have been on the guest list for a good long while. So thank you for coming <laughs> to chat to me. So I suppose let's get started. Um. I probably met you, met you all the way back in the normal times, pre-everything, mm-hmm. back in 2015, I think. Mm-hmm. In DCU, you were in the first ever lecture that I gave as a terrified um, PhD student. So how did you get to go and do your master's in sexuality study? What brought you to there? You know, it sort of goes back even further than the master's, really, because um, I remember being nine years old and uh, playing with my friend Libby out the front of the house we were living in at the time and she was 10 and she's saying to me do you know how babies are made and I'm going like yeah she goes do you know that the penis goes into the vagina I'm going what and I didn't know that the penis went into the vagina I thought sperms and sperms just sort of flew through the air to get to an egg to make a new human whatever about that. I know now why I thought that, but at that time I didn't. And that has stayed with me for almost 40 years. And it got to the point where when I had my own kids, I was sort of like, I never want them to experience that because I felt like so stupid that day that she knew this information. I didn't know it. And I'd made up this sort of weird story about flying sperm. And so i committed to myself that my kids would never be put in that situation. And that started the journey of learning how to talk about this in my own family. Little did I realize, because I've raised all my children in Ireland, that not everyone um, believed or thought that conversations with kids were important around topics like that. And there was some inevitable conflicts in, in the school. So I was like, you know what, maybe I'm doing this wrong. I think I need to go and do some study because I love study. So 
DCU is where I went and um, had a really fabulous time doing that master's. And Caroline, I mean, you know how important it is to find a community of people who understand why the work we do is so important. And I really feel like the friendship you and I have and some others from that time has just made a really big difference to be able to do life-changing work, but not feel alone and like constantly struggling against the tide because... I don't know about you, but that would be just too hard for me. I wouldn't be able to do that. Yeah, it, it takes a lot. And I think we recognize sometimes if we're in our WhatsApp chats or whatever to go, oh, look, this new sex thing came out. And normally you can't do that with a lot of people. So but that's such a shame. And I wish everyone was more comfortable talking about sex because like that's normal enough to me. But I recognize like that's not really the normal situation for most people, because mm-hmm. especially in Ireland, we grew up with like a very sex negative culture. Um, I'm trying to think when you're saying about the flying sperm there, like what did I believe growing up? And I don't, I don't know if I even had any beliefs or knowledge. I just, maybe it's something that I just didn't think about, but it just was like sex was just not spoken about in, in my world at all. So maybe it was just something I knew that like instinctively that you just don't ask about and that was it. So um, yeah. can I just ask how big you thought the flying sperm were? Yeah. Really? <laughs> I do think I thought they were microscopic so that was the narrative worked well it was logical I mean the the interesting thing about that story is I asked my mom about that later when I went back to DCU to study and she told me that she actually had had a conversation with me because when I was six she was pregnant with my one of my brothers and she specifically she's a nurse so we had had that conversation about sex and the penis and the vagina and I think what it's shown me it's one of the core tenets of my work now is that one-off conversations are not enough for children we need to have ongoing the, the the talking about this needs to be on part of the culture of everyday life which means not that you sit down at the kitchen table every morning for breakfast and say by the way just reminding everyone penis goes into the vagina to make babies well one of the ways anyway there are other ways as well but that's the way we're going to talk about for the next three months it's not that it's more about just making it part of everyday life like we would with teaching table manners or road safety that education about sexuality and the body can be integrated into normal family everyday stuff yeah I, I love that you say that because I know your work when, when you kind of first started out you're you're um branding yourself as the talk and that's what we think of in in our society as well about oh you have the talk you have the chat about birds and the bees but yeah I love your point that it, it actually it's something that's continuous I mean we talk about mental and physical wellness on a regular basis so why not sexual wellness as well and I think yeah that that I suppose focus on on chatting about it as if it's just kind of normal thing probably reduces the stigma and the shame maybe around it as well Mm. do you think Mm. yeah absolutely and um the the other interesting thing is when we talk about continuing conversations I mean continuing conversations uh my mum is 71 and she still has the opportunity to create open culture amongst her grown kids who are all in their 40s to allow us the chance to go to her for support or solace when things aren't going well. And she has four kids. And all of us have had very complex lives in terms of our relationships and um, what we have learned about ourselves in to do with our erotic life. And so as a parent and she knew that, but I'm, I've learned it now that we never stop being a parent, you know, until the day we die, 
we will continue to be a parent and have the opportunities to offer um, support and care and love and unconditional positive regard and all those things for the children in our lives who will eventually be adults. So it's so much more than just what we think about, like you said, of one talk with a child who's probably around 10 or 11. Yeah, that's it. Because it's not just here's puberty and that's it. Like sex in your 30s is also something important to figure out. And it's not like here's your one training manual and then that is it. You're you're good to go for the rest of your mm-hmm. life then. And sex changes and especially I suppose um for people with wombs and when the menopause hits and that that changes everything absolutely completely. So I like that you're raising that point that it is that ongoing process because sex is a lifetime process you know when we have a lot of seniors getting STIs now because they're still going uh, going strong for play to them but yeah so I think that's one of the, the predominant questions I know sometimes I get asked and when I'm doing media stuff about oh when do you talk to your kids about porn when what age what is the age and I think mm-hmm. they get really frustrated because they won't pick a particular age but is that mm-hmm. one of the questions you get as well of like what age because people maybe mm-hmm. like that like certainty maybe yeah, about everything. You can pick any topic about, you know, what age do you talk to kids about explain sex? What age do you talk to kids about puberty? What age do you talk to kids about sexting? Um, yeah, so that question is so common. And I think that's probably why I've created this system of knowledge inside um, the Evolve School, which is the way I teach parents the full system of how to sort of have ongoing uh, com- connected conversations with kids, which is sort of like this layering process. So if you think about any high-level conversation, let's take porn as an example since it's it's um, your favourite topic, um, <laughs> that we, like you might think, okay, so maybe you should talk to kids about porn when they have greater access to online resources or when we think maybe the kids around them might be more um likely to show them something that they find on a phone but I would say really that we can start laying the foundation of conversations to do with topics like like that from when kids are three and four and the way we do that is by talking about really foundational concepts like your our bodies are our own and we get to choose what our body does or whether someone does something to our body or not that our body feels good right it has the potential to feel wonderful and whether that's by jumping on the trampoline or eating an ice cream or hugging the dog or touching our genitals so these foundational concepts all slowly start to become second nature for our children as they grow and so when it comes to the point where we're talking about erotic you know material that you might find online then you don't have to lay all the groundwork. You can say, you know how bodies feel good. Well, I don't think I've said to you yet that one of the ways people sometimes make their body feel nice is to look at videos of naked people, right? And that's really for adults. But I just wanted to tell you that sometimes kids might find those things by mistake. And um, if you find that, your body might feel excited or shocked or worried. And that's the sort of thing you can come and talk to me about. So we can work out together, you know, what's the, what's the best way to make yourself feel sort of cared for and looked after if you find something that is a little bit worrying for you, you know? And so having that conversation that I just sort of outlined there sits on a strong, firm foundation of 
months and years of other conversations that I've had with children or another adult will have had with their kids. So it's not this massive mountain of information that is worrying and scary for us because we've already created habits and foundations and connections around these sort of topics. Yeah, that's I, I think that's a really nice way of looking at it because I think maybe a lot of people are terrified of the sheer amount of knowledge that you have to impart. But if you're doing it bit by bit by bit, that probably makes things a lot easier. And like porn is such a terrifying subject for a lot of people, you know, understandably so. So if you're saying you've kind of just it's like dropping breadcrumbs maybe along the way and then by the time because kids will stumble across porn you know we'd rather we lived in a world where that didn't happen and they mm. wouldn't see it till they're much older and able to process it better but you know we have seven-year-olds with smartphones now and it's like that's only a matter of time like it's kind of like a ticking porn bomb in their pocket mm. that they're gonna see it so I, yeah. I can imagine that's a very anxiety provoking kind of world to be in of, of, you know, maybe 20 years ago, you didn't have that much stress around the porn part, certainly. But now mm. it's like kids are entering the world of sex at a, a very young age, you know, when, when mm. you'd prefer that they wouldn't. But that's there. So imagine how do we tackle that anxiety for parents? Mm. And uh, I love that question because um I was talking to a group of parents just this week. So I have different ways that I support parents. And one of them is a monthly ongoing support program. We meet once a month and we talk about any issues that have come up. And we've been doing this for a number of months now. And one of the things that they've been saying to me is that they came into this program thinking that it was going to be teaching them how to talk to their kids. But actually what the program does is from a very sort of deep part of themselves helps them to discover what shame is lurking inside themselves. And usually that's from um, experiences they've had in the past, oftentimes from when they were kids, um, not because anyone maybe shamed them on purpose, uh, but that the adults around the parents nowadays who were raising the parents way back then did not understand that um, the things they were saying were creating shame. So it could have been shame around genital touching or um, yeah, so masturbation would have been the main one we were talking about this week, or it could be shame around questions, very innocent questions like um, why do you have hair there, dad? Or how does sperm get out of your penis? Or just really like nowadays we know that children ask questions and that's the way they learn their program to do that. But 20, 30 years ago when we were growing up or 40 years ago in my case, the adults around us didn't know that. So it's more, it's as well, it's about turning inside and with support and care, because most of us can't do that work on our own, really coming to terms with the things that have shaped us um, and the experiences that have that have influenced the way we can speak up about even just saying genital words, for example, and acknowledging that we're not broken because we're finding it difficult. We have something in our past that means it's complicated. And um, when we allow ourselves to be sort of gentle and go, oh, okay, I see now, this is not my fault, uh, but I do want to stop the shame cycle now. I want to do something about it so my kid doesn't have to work through the same thing I did. That's when we can create 
positive cultures of change in families. That's huge, you know, because, yeah, you're, you're not it's kind of intergenerational shame and stigma that's been passed down from parents and grandparents who didn't have any sex education themselves, most mm-hmm. likely. Um, but yeah, but then, so you have that shame maybe instilled in you as a child whether purposely or just through um whatever happened as a child but then you have adult sex uh, uh, sexual experiences which can be very messy which can be very all over the place you know speaking from experience um and and not all of them may have been the kind of sex that maybe you want to have or you may have a lot of frustration around sex so yeah that's a lot to then challenge when it comes to teaching your kid hey here's what healthy sex is and here's what healthy consent is I mean I think as adults we're still all finally kind of taking a deep dive into consent after me too and we're recognizing hey sexual assault takes many different kinds of forms and it's not just Mm -hmm. penis and vagina or violent or all those kind of things so that must be it's a I imagine like it's kind of like a light bulb moment but how do you help people get to that point where you can recognize everything that we just said there instead of feeling like oh my god I have to do all this work yeah well I mean I've described that to you just like what I see the process is but I don't actually talk about that in the programs I run it's not like that at all it's far more about um gently uh providing little pieces of education so for example in the evolved school the first module we do is learning about our nervous system right and learning that our nervous system actually communicates with us to keep us safe so all those feelings of oh this is dangerous if our kid asks us when we're driving along and the news is on our our eight-year-old says oh mom what is rape oftentimes our nervous system will go danger danger we shouldn't talk about rape with kids because that will damage them. And of course, our nervous system is doing the right thing based on what we have learned from the past, right? Because no one has shown us how to have an age-appropriate conversation with an eight or a nine-year-old about rape. And so as a parent, we are programmed completely and utterly to care for our child above all else, right? So we would learn um, in the Evolve School how to notice what our nervous system is doing and accept it, right? and find strategies to calm our nervous system down. But that's only one part of it. The second part is to learn about, well, actually, yes, you can talk about what rape is with children of that age in a way that they can understand that might not be the way an adult would understand. So, for example, this what is rape mum question, I actually had my daughter ask me that. I still remember where I was. I was outside of Tesco in Rathmines waiting for the lights to change and this conversation just started to happen. And I'm there driving the car thinking, okay, what what am I going to say about this? And the first thing I turned to her and said, "Uh, you know what? I wish I didn't have to have this conversation with you because it's about how the world is broken. Now, actually, that is a lovely sentence because it acknowledges that the child has asked you a question and it's an important conversation to have and acknowledges how we as parents feel about it, that we just want to protect our child, you know, and we want to wrap them up in cotton wool. So start with a sentence like that and then say, look, you know how there are some people in the world that um, either by accident or on purpose can hurt other people. Now that's a concept most children will understand because the schoolyard is not a place where 
everyone's happy all the time. If you remember school, Caroline, yeah, I remember yeah, school definitely. and it was tough. Like a football match or something. If someone, someone can accidentally yes. kick you or someone can deliberately kick you. So, yeah. yes. So it's a concept kids understand and you can say, well, you know, that rape is that sort of thing where someone hurts someone else, um, usually with their genitals or hurts that person's genitals because they are doing something that the person does not want them to do. Right now, just replay that, what I just said there. Okay, so that is essentially a reasonably accurate description of what rape is. But it's it's referenced with concepts that a child can understand. I'm not sort of saying it's really scary and it must never happen to you because goodness knows who knows what's going to happen to our kid and we want them to be able to come to us. I don't want my child to feel like she has to protect me from bad things that happen in her life because I want to be there for her. I absolutely fundamentally want to be the first person she calls if she needs support for something really, really shit, if we're allowed to say shit on this podcast. I presume we are. And so it's all about de-escalating the feeling of crisis and like that we we can't survive bad things and embracing the fact that bad things happen in life and talk about them in a way that models to our child that, um, okay, yeah, I'll talk to you about this bad thing because I want you to know that no matter what happens, I am here for you and you can talk about it with me too. That's, it just sounds very calming. Even as you're saying it to me, I'm like, Oh, that's actually that's really nice, and I, I you just think imagine the amount of people who who would have that experience growing up, and then you think, you know, they wouldn't maybe feel oh I need to keep this inside, or it doesn't feel like my fault or a dirty secret that I have to keep or or something like that, and that actually builds a really a, a much healthier society where we're all a little bit happier maybe because we're we're not carrying around it as much, like shame and trauma maybe inside us mm. maybe like we're mm. more likely to seek help if something horrific happens yeah. to us I do you know there's a story about that I was um, um, interviewing a sex therapist the other day for for one of my programs and she was describing so she's a sex therapist right um, and she grew up in a house where conversations about sex were had and they knew that their parents had a healthy sex life and they loved each other but what was not modeled to her was what you do when things don't go well. And she had an experience in her marriage where she had a vaginal birth, which had sort of like physical implications for her vaginal integrity, for want of a better word. The second birth, same thing. The third birth, the same thing, which she, and she lost her erotic self. She didn't want to have sex anymore. There was physical pain, all those related things. But what she described was the difficulty. She didn't know how to reach out for help right? And um, she told me that looking back now, that marriage ended in divorce for her and she retrained as a sex therapist. And she says, looking back now, that marriage was a good marriage, but because she didn't understand how to seek help and who to talk to when things were tough, because that wasn't modeled to her when she was growing up, that marriage ended. Um, and so one of the products she's created is like how to get to couples like that and help them work through that situation. But what it reminded me of was these conversations that are important are not just about the concepts to do with our body and sex. It's also concepts around that life can be hard and we need help for things sometimes. And how do we reach out for support when things aren't going well? And not only that, it's about how is it possible to not feel like it's our fault when things go wrong? 
And so that's another shame, right? Oh, I failed somehow and I feel shame about failure. So I don't want to talk about this. So it's just, it's not just one shame that we're really dealing with. It's so many different shames that we have adopted from our culture. Absolutely. Oh. Yeah, a lot, a lot of work to, to undo. Yeah. But I, I love that approach because I suppose if we think about, you know, old school ways of, of well modern ways still as well I suppose but the, the traditional ways that we talk to kids about sex and it's like oh sex is when you're in a love and happy relationship and maybe there's a baby maybe there's not and oh here's STIs but there's no so it teaches you that kind of the mechanics of it you know penis goes in here or you know because it's usually a very hetero idea of, of mm. what sex is but we don't often equip young people with the emotional skills for sex or what happens when it goes wrong? Because we know, you know, again, all those challenges to intimacy that can absolutely happen. I mean, one of the most common questions I get from my vote column is, oh, am I normal? And it's like, because we're not prepared for that because we either think everyone else is swinging from the rooftops and having amazing sex all the time, or, you know, we don't want to ask because we're scared of the, of the answer. So I mm. wonder, like, that's, how we can actually set kids up to go do you know what sex is amazing but also it can be really negative sometimes mm. and mm. here's what we do when when it when it all goes a bit pear-shaped mm. whether mm. that's like non-consent or just general life getting in the way yeah I think part of the answer to that question is about acknowledging that we learn throughout our life right so um when I took part of what I did before COVID was to go into fifth and sixth class at national level and um, do the RSE program, the very limited Irish <laughs> curriculum RSE program. But one of the concepts in that is that we learn about our body throughout our lifetime and that um, who we are as a sexual being changes. So who we are when we're four versus who they are when they're 11 and 12 versus who they are when they're 21, 22. Because one of the questions, a really common question I would get when I was in the circle of lads or other people with a penis, they'd be saying to me like, I don't know how to have sex. Like, how will I know how to have it? Or what if I do we instead of, it's one of the common questions, what if I do we instead of do sperm? And I'm like saying, you know, this is part of how we learn. If you got onto the the um, the hurling pitch and you'd never picked up a hurley before, would you be able to play hurling? And they'd be like, no, not really. Uh, but what would happen if you went out there over the course of every week for three years? How would you be after three years? Oh, yeah, I'd be really good at it. Same sort of thing. Like you don't know anything about sex because you don't have to do it and you won't have to do it for a long time because it's something grown-ups do or much older people but um it's something that you learn and they're like oh okay because it's that same thing they understand what it's like to learn something from not learning anything so again it's a concept that um makes sense to them in other areas of life so it can make sense here too yeah that's a really nice answer and again it's something that kids can understand the hurling is an amazing example for that so yeah and what do the girls have any kind of predominant questions that they ask a lot of the time, um, so remember, these are 11 and 12-year-olds, um, a lot of their questions will be about period management. And I think, which, you know, is very interesting to compare those two different um, sort of approaches or worries. 
Um, and a lot of it is around how will I manage my period if I get it at school? And so we spend a good amount of time sort of trying to dismantle again, shame or silence around this thing. So we're in a circle and taking out period products and we're passing them around and we're dipping tampons in water and opening um, pads and looking at them and cups, menstrual cups and, and period undies and all those things. But in the course of doing that, it starts to destigmatize the products, right? And we talk about practical things like, okay, well, what do you do if you've got your period at school and you've got a pad of something in your bag and the toilet is over there and everyone's in class? How do you carry your pad to the toilet without everyone seeing? Because they're feeling self-conscious. So we talk about, well, you can put it in your sleeve or someone once said, oh, you could put it in your sock because you're bending down to get your bag and put it in your sock. And so as they start talking about these things with me because I'm modeling openness, you can start to see them sort of ease up. And then there was one circle where one of the girls started to tell her story about how she got her period on a school trip. And her friend turned to her and said, I didn't know that. And the person turned the story said, yeah, I was too embarrassed to tell you. But in the circle, the story was told. So I mean, I don't think I can overemphasize how important, and you see this in your work too, I know you do, getting together with other people and being in a safe space to that allows us to start saying the things that we haven't felt safe enough to say before. And it is really quite amazing, the magic and the power from those sort of experiences. Absolutely. And I think it's like a vulnerability that's powerful as well and recognizing and that it's okay to say hey do you know what I don't know what's going on or you know I like I had this really embarrassing experience because you know you're not going to be the only one with that really embarrassing experience so I wonder that the parents in the workshops that you run would they have that same experience so when some parent sticks their hand up and goes I have no idea what I'm doing and then the others are like oh, thankfully somebody said it <laughs> you know yeah. exactly there was a story the other day um um, so one of the things we do in the program is uh, recommend various books because we can use our environment to help set a culture in our house that, yeah, we talk about these things. Not only do we talk about them, there are lots of books just freely accessible. So we were talking about books and um, one of the mums had bought a book and it had come in the post because COVID and she had opened it up and her six-year-old took one look at it and said, we don't look at those sort of things on bodies and closed the book and hid it under the, the couch. And another family had exactly the same response. Now, what was interesting is over the weeks as the program went on, one of the families just kept the book out there and whenever um, one of the parents would find it, they would put it on the couch or put it somewhere um, where it was freely visible. And eventually over time, that six-year-old opened that book up and started to leaf through it. And um, so there was this conversation where these two families had had very similar experiences and they were sharing like, well, what did work in your family? Okay, yeah, I might try that. So, and I think the thing is that every family is different. We, we have different configurations of parenting, whether we're solo parenting, or we've got more than two parents or what sort of kids do we have? What is their, are they neuroatypical? I, what gender are they? All this sort of stuff. It's a hodgepodge of stuff. But you will usually find one family who 
has something that is similar to what your family is doing. And there is a great sense of relief. It's like, oh, no, we're not broken. We're not on our own. It's going to be okay. This, uh, yeah, there's definitely strength in that for sure. And uh, yeah, I think, that, again, that silence really stops all those kind of conversations. So it's lovely to see that aspect. Do you think parents nowadays, I know we're in 2021 and all, all that kind of thing, but I think for some people, there's still, it's not, you know, if their kid maybe comes to them and said, oh, I'm questioning my gender or my sexuality, that it's not necessarily fear for them or maybe it's like concern of, oh God, they're going to be bullied maybe if they come out or, you know, if my kid is trans, then then what do we do? Because some people have no idea what the process of, of being trans is like and stuff. And maybe we're subject to a lot of misinformation on the internet and, and transphobia and homophobia and things like that. So how do parents make their way through all of that if if their kid does come to them and say hey I'm, I don't know what my gender is I don't know what my sexuality is but it might be xyz mm. one thing I would say about parents is they really want to do their best I have not yet met a parent who does didn't really care about that sort of situation. And oftentimes what parents are looking for is just some support to be able to say the right thing and um, to know that they've done the best for their kid and that they did not balls it up. And um, interestingly, one of the strategies really is to understand that we can't be perfect. As parents in the parenting world, there's often huge amounts of pressure to get things right. And it's not necessarily external pressure because if I think about my children, I don't want to be the cause of something that is complicated. And sorry, I don't know if you can hear any sounds, but we've got an Xbox player just that's, there. So that's that's okay. COVID we're literally times. talking yeah. about parenting <laughs> yeah. and working from home. So, yeah. Living the dream. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I sort of forgot what I was saying. Oh, yeah. And so first of all, it's about uh, acknowledging that we can only do the best with what we have. But if we have a conversation or say something to our child like, um, thank you for telling me, I love you no matter what, and then we go away and we realise, oh, I could have said more. Um, it doesn't mean that we did a bad job, but it gives us an opportunity to go back to our child and model what taking responsibility looks like and make amends and do an even better job. And, and all our children need to see that that model, those qualities, because all of us, as we said earlier in this show, is we learn as we go along. And like there's been times when I've done a really crap job of negotiating consent and it's sort of like, okay, now I'm going to have to go back and take responsibility for that and, and apologize and make amends. So um, when we can model that dynamic in our family, with our kids who, just for the record, if they do come to us and say, tell us something special about their gender or their sexual orientation, what a massive privilege that is. And that there is something in your parenting that you have done so right because they have trusted you with that information. So kudos, kudos if you're in that situation and you get to be stretched a little bit more by your kid and what they're willing to tell you. Yeah, that's a nice feeling. I remember um, this is my my trash TV site coming out, but 90 Day Fiance and one of the girls, Erica, was visiting with her girlfriend. Well, 
on the show girlfriend we debatable how real it actually was but they sat down to dinner and the parents were like so is this your friend or you know what's going on kind of thing and Erica said oh well, actually um I'm by and it was built up to be this big moment that she's coming out to her parents and her dad is this very Australian kind of man who just you can imagine at a, at a you know with a beer at a, at a barbecue no bothers um and he just went all right well that's more information about you Grant do you want some shrimp and it was just lovely <laughs> and she was like okay what and and just kind of almost thrown off guard by just how chill he was but it was just such a lovely moment of like just something else I know about you now and that mm. was it and it was just lovely and refreshing and maybe it, sometimes it could just be as simple as that you know mm. and yeah I thought that was a nice kind of a very kind and calm kind of approach to it. Yeah. Who says trash TV is an educational? Not <laughs> exactly. me, that's for sure. <laughs> that's my justification for watching yeah. it anyway. <laughs> yeah. So I suppose before we get to, um, we have a live audience and, and some of them have questions as well, um, or hopefully they're thinking about which kind of questions to ask. What kind of books do you have that you could recommend for parents? Um, you know, because I think maybe sometimes people take in information in their own time and if they have a book that can be, one good way to kind of take on a little bit of info. Yeah, sure. It sort of depends what age your children are and sort of what stage you're at. And there, one thing I will say is that there is no perfect book because uh, oftentimes I'll be asked a parent, I, you know, I have a six-year-old, what book would you recommend? And some books focus more on puberty. Some books focus more on human conception. Some books focus more on diversity and families. So um, I've got a book list that I point people to, which is at sarahsproul.com forward slash book list. I'll put it in the chat actually for the people that are on live and we can maybe add it to the show notes when. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but um, there's new ones coming out all the time. And in fact, I have just recently bought one and it hasn't come yet. And it's called uh, Make a, Making a Baby, an Exclusive Guide to how every family begins. Now, you see, when I'm talking about no book is perfect, already I've got a bone to pick with the title because it's talking about human like conception and, and it's great because IVF and adoption and all those things are in it. But the fact that it says an inclusive guide for how every family begins is assuming that families begin with children, I think. Now, I haven't got the book yet, so I don't know, but it's just one of those things that when there are issues like that that we discover in a book, it doesn't mean the book is bad. It means, oh, my God, this is awesome. Now I get to have a conversation with my kids about assumptions, right? Um, so, yeah, Making a Baby an Inclusive Guide to How Every Family Begins. I have heard on the grapevine and I've had a little look through online. It looks amazing. So um, I'll report back on that once I get Excellent. it. And then the only other thing resource I love to recommend is amaze.org because there are there, it's not books on there but it's little cartoon versions of very short snippets of for different age groups and for parents too about specific very short topics where it's about periods or STIs or consent or whatever it is and it's amazing resource it's American but you know that's fine when I'm not going to However it works. Sort of, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So amaze.org is awesome too. I'm going to put that in the chat okay. as well. Perfect. Well, I think that's really nice and modern, I suppose, to have things such as IVF in there because that that's a grueling process for a lot of people, you know, between all the injections and it can be months and months of a process sometimes. So maybe if you have a child at home who's kind of old enough to understand mummy's 
very grumpy because <laughs> she's having a pile of hormones pumped in and there's, there's stress and everything else. I suppose that's a nice way to be a bit more inclusive of, of the realities, mm. I suppose, of, of mm. modern life as well. And, mm. you know, maybe the old school parenting books from the 80s or whatever maybe wouldn't I don't know when IVF was invented um but probably wouldn't be as inclusive of things like that and it would they'd only be like a baby is made through a penis and vagina and we know that that's not the case and what's really interesting is I have heard actually some parents say to me that if we often talk about couching the idea of how a baby's made in the context of um artificial insemination IVF or penis and vagina sex and when you when you frame it like that parents who have conceived their kids without um, intervention will often say they find it easier to talk about um, IVF and artificial insemination than they do about intercourse which I think is really interesting now I haven't heard whether um, parents that have used assisted reproductive services would say the same thing because I know there is still stigma around that but it it does become very interesting how we can help each other with the different experiences we have with um, the way we've conceived our child or children yeah it's nice to see I suppose different um content out there that is reflective of of the lovely variety of ways that a family can either be made or you know extended or whatever happens to be so that's mm-hmm. nice um mm-hmm. and talk to us about the course that you're running so you mentioned the evolve course the evolve school yeah evolve school. so um i started the evolve school last year because um what i was realizing was that parents were coming to me and asking me for age appropriate information and as you've heard now through this episode of this podcast is that it's not actually just about age appropriate information in fact age appropriate information often isn't that helpful what is helpful is learning about ourselves and our past and how our body reacts to things to do with sex um, and learning concrete communication strategies that um, put front and center our connection with our kids right? So it's actually not just about having the conversations about the topics and imparting information. It's also about creating connection, um, modeling good relationship skills, and, um, and looking after ourselves, which is about compassion and consent, right? So the Evolve School uh, is opening sometime next month. I haven't quite decided exactly when, but it gives parents a chance to say, you know what, this is so important that I am willing to commit to, it's sort of eight weeks of learning with a break in the middle, eight weeks of learning where I will give myself the gift of being in community with other parents who are wanting the same thing for their children to leave shame behind and to move forward with a more sort of aware and um, inclusive attitude to what sexuality and relationships are and, um, and and see how I go and what I love about it is that it's very it's very safe that safety is prioritized purely because most of us at me included um, have not had safe experiences growing up to have com- real honest 
open conversations about things to do with sex. And we may also not have had safety around learning how to work out what we need and what we want in relationships. And so the other thing the Evolve School does is brings us into community where nothing is expected, right? Everything is a choice. And um, so not only do we learn information, we learn skills, but we learn what it feels like to look deep inside ourselves and work out, well, what do we really truly want? And this isn't sexual really truly wanting. This is, do I want to answer this question in front of other people on Zoom? And if the answer is no, then that is really good because you've just stood up for a boundary, right? So um, I'm really proud of the Evolve School. I think you can probably tell, Caroline, with yeah. the way I go on it, on it's with just, it. But it just sounds so calm and, and yeah. like you're saying, like the compassionate side of things. Because like you yeah. said, there's a lot of anxiety, well, in general in the world at the moment, but I'm sure parents are really kind of feeling that anxiety. And then you throw sex into the mix. It's like, oh, mm. where do I start? So that just sounds like such a lovely calm kind of peaceful approach and stuff so mm. I'm very glad that exists in, in the world and you're such like the perfect person for it so that's amazing and mm. um, before we go into the questions where can people find you if they want to learn more about you um yeah so do you know what Instagram is the place that I love the most it's such a I just find it such a happy place so my um, Instagram profile is I am Sarah Sproul and if you look for me there my website is sarahsproul.com um but Instagram is like where you would go to actually meet me for coffee virtually, whereas um, my website is sort of like uh, the little pamphlet that I put out that you would pick up and it's, it's not very lively. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So I'd love to welcome anyone who wants to DM me or ask me any questions over there. Uh, I'm so happy to answer them. Perfect. And you have your own podcast, which I actually love, which is very different to mine sitting at home. You are literally sitting in a car. <laughs> but I love that because that's very much parenting, right? It's like, yeah. oh, you're going to football practice or picking people. I'm sure you spend quite a lot of time in your car. I really did. And that's why it's called sitting in a car, because the only time I had when I first started that podcast was when I would take one of my sons to boxing on Saturday morning and I would take him to boxing over in Kimmage and I would sit in the car outside there for an hour and I would write my podcast episodes and record maybe one or two because they're usually only seven or eight minutes long. And uh, yeah, it was sort of a reflection of, well, this is the time I have, but so many conversations happen when you're sitting in a car with a kid. So there's so many different ways that sitting in a car just feels so relevant for a podcast for parents and other adults who are raising kids. Absolutely. Yeah. I, it, it just, yeah. One of those things where the name is actually summing it up really perfectly. So um, thank you so much. We're going to open up the um, the mics if anyone or if you don't want to talk, you can um, drop a line in the chat. So I'm going to open up all the mics there. Feel free. You can raise your hand or just dive in. It's nice to see everyone's faces. Yeah. <laughs> Names. Any questions from anyone there? See my lovely friend Sandy there. Yay. Hey there, Sandy. We have one. Um, I had one question earlier on Instagram and it was, I, I suppose we kind of covered it a little bit today, but just um, if you had a quick tip to make it easier to begin that conversation. I know we've probably touched on that a little bit anyway. Ah, no, but I have an even more concrete tip. So one of my absolute all-time favorite 
sentence starters is um, I learned something new today. And it's a really easy way to start a conversation with a child from nothing, like from going zero to 20 and like this. Um, so you could use it like this. I learned something new today. I was listening to Caroline's podcast and she told me that, you know, kids need to know about how babies are made and that some babies are made with science. It's amazing. Um, let's find a time that we can have that conversation, right? And that all started from I learned something new today. And you can use I learned something new today and add anything onto the back of it. Like I learned something new today. Um, uh, did you know that it was illegal to share a naked photo that isn't yours or is yours or whatever it is? So you just find something specific that you want to talk about and tack it onto I learned something new today. I like that. It's, it's sneaky, but informative. Yeah. <laughs> at the yeah. same time. Yeah. Um, fab. Yeah. I suppose, yeah, modeling like vulnerability of like, I didn't know this before. So mm. and that's okay as well. So mm. yeah, excellent. Any other questions from anyone there? Some lovely comments here. <laughs> People are saying thank you. It's so cute. It's lovely. Sandy, what about yourself as, as a doula? We're going to pick on you as a hopefully future <laughs> guest as well. <laughs> oh, wow. I'd love to, Caroline. I, can, uh, oh, here's the first question for Zoom for 2021. Can you hear me? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, because I, it's really unnerving. I didn't realise that you could see us. But anyway, uh, quick scan. Um, I love this. I think it's really clever. I think that uh, I learned something new today there is a sentence that certainly I've picked up from Sarah. I am a massive fan of both y'all. And um, we've definitely brought Sarah's work into our homes and into our lives. Even that part of, never mind the, uh, where you it really resonated with me there, where you said, I learned something new about sex, about how babies are made in science. But even mm -hmm. finishing that bit, what do you know about how babies are made? Mm -hmm. And then asking them to bring in the information that they might know or be curious around and having a conversation around that. Um, I think there's so much to this. I think where you were talking about sex and um, certainly in my work with families and parents, working around what, what you said in particular, Caroline, around sex and sex trauma and how sex might have happened in a way that it mightn't have been right for you or how it was. Um, and then again, myself and Sarah were talking about this a while ago there, uh, reintroducing sex as a new parent as a new family that word family again Sarah loved that about mm -hmm. the book what is a family it can be two people it can be me and my dog can be a family mm -hmm. right so I'd be really interested to see that book but that whole piece around reintroducing intimacy and sensuality post-birth where you were talking about IVF journeys there that can be mm -hmm. you know it can become really mechanical and reintroducing intimacy after, you know, five years of injections and, you know, uh, tubes and all, all of the medical appointments needs to be really gentle. And introducing conversations like this of intimacy with ourselves, modeling it in front of our little tiny babies, all the way up into, you know, prepubescence. Pre -pu we think that it has to start when they're five or six or seven. But like that, again, sitting in a car, having a chat with a kid because you're not eyeballing each other. It's, it's up there with, you know, chopping the chopping the carrots with the man. You know, you're standing there going, what's going on? Nothing. Oh, really? Do you want to talk about that? Oh, yeah, really? OK. You know, so I suppose I don't have a question. It's more a comment. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> 
so much to say. Sandy. Yeah. So much to say. Nice everyday moments, right? It's a reflective of that is family life. You are chopping carrots or you are in the car or, you know, all all that kind of thing. It's nice to go here. We can kind of use this as as the way into things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And certainly that's where I would have ever uh, started to begin to listen to podcasts, sitting in my car, waiting for my kid at her extracurricular activity. You've got an hour to do nothing sitting in the cold. <laughs> so do something a bit more productive, you know? Anyway, I'm out. Thank, no, you. thank you so much. No, no I'm waving to you. I know you can't even see, but <laughs> I can see waving. you. No, I can't see oh, you. Right. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, we have another question from Oshin. How's it going? Um, thanks very much. That's been very interesting. And I definitely am loving the sound of I learned something new today. That's definitely mm-hmm. one to think about. Mm-hmm. I. <clears throat> I'm sort of sitting at a tricky point with my two because I've got my eldest is 12 and he's boy. And uh, I just realized, uh, and his sister is 10. And uh, it's gas, like uh, basically amongst other things. I mean, I noticed there about a month ago, I was like, he's got a frog in his throat. And then I was like, that's not a frog in his throat. That's his voice starting to break. So that's going to be starting to happen soon. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, right. And he was um, himself or uh, myself and their ma are separated now. So I was like sitting there going, oh, Jesus. Now I'm going to have to have a chat with her about how we're going to have a chat with him. And then I was like, but hold on a second. There's some stuff that I almost feel like I need them both to hear. Because, like, I'm just very conscious, especially uh, with the two of them, that, like, they, they've they got to hear some common stuff, you know? I, I, I don't... My instinct is that, like, if I start to... And, like, again, it's gas. Like, because of COVID, right, the amount of television we're all watching has gone through the roof. My daughter has watched every single episode of The Simpsons, like, literally every single episode of The Simpsons, which is, in some ways, quite useful. Because she almost takes it as a given now that there is a thing that uh, parents do with each other. like, And she she knew about that already. But, you know, margin home or sex life is actually, it's fairly normalized. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a thing which is there and nobody is especially weird about it. And then mm. we started watching that show, uh, The Good Place, just recently. And she gets a lot out of it. And then we suddenly like came straight up against an uh, episode which was Jake making jokes about masturbation. And I was like, oh, <laughs> yeah. damn. And I was just like, I was just like, can we park that? Because that's a thing that I'd like to talk about. But I can't think how to talk about it now. Yeah. You know? But then I'm like, you can only, you can't, you're going to have to have those conversations with them. And so that's a very long way of getting to how how much sense does it to have some common conversations with both with kids like you know with young boys and girls like I mean and the thing is they're not that young anymore I mean mm-hmm. ten and twelve they're they're not they're not babies anymore you know they're getting on and I, I I'd, I'd be really interested to hear like. You know, is it a thing? Is it, do you think more about? I mean, at the end of the day, like, there's only so much that Gabriel is ever going to take in about mm. periods. But mm. like, at the same time, 
he needs to be like he needs to get he doesn't need to just know about it as a thing he needs to know it's a bit of work involved here you know yeah yeah it's a great question, Oshin, and um, I, I actually love where you're going with that because I think there is massive value in um, having conversations in a group. First of all, it's better for them because they're outnumbering you, first of all. So if you're, if you're up for it, it, it makes sense because they're, they're, I think they would be more comfortable with each other there. Like now you'll be the judge of that because maybe they, that's not the sort of family dynamic, but who knows? I just think it makes it more normal when you're at the sink, like Sandy was saying, cutting cutting the carrots or loading the dishwasher or something's going on. And, and you might say, look, I learned something new today. I realized that you guys, you're 10 and 12, and I could have been having conversations with you about puberty and bodies and all those things when you were six, and I didn't know that. And now I'm sort of like, oops, that I hope that – you know, that train hasn't left the station sort of thing. And so, and just be really open about the fact that, um, that in the world we live in parents, we haven't been taught the best way to do this. We're sort of sometimes having to make it up as we go along with our 10 and our 12 year olds. So absolutely. And what I loved about you talking about the Simpsons and the normalizing of, um, of a sex life, there are so many shows that can do that for us. Like even I'm thinking the friends, um, there's an amazing friends episode about condoms where I don't know if anyone remembers it, but they're all sneaking out of the room to try and get the last condom that is stored in the bathroom and having to negotiate, well, who gets to use it because there's only one. And so those sort of, um, popular media like popular media has been given a pretty bad rap sometimes caroline like you know about this right but we've had where how many shows have we mentioned even in this one podcast recording right where that has sparked conversations so um Oshin, i love that idea of um watching tv and getting um motivation to have conversations like the next time a masturbation episode comes up of whatever show you're watching you'll be going you could say something like oh everyone masturbates it's the way to learn about how how our body feels good you know you throw it away and they will probably be embarrassed and you'll probably be embarrassed but at least you know they've seen you say the word which is a win in my book yeah, no, I was thinking as well, because again, it's gas, the other series, which they actually really got into in terms of comedy, which I thought was quite useful in terms of like, just the spectrum of sexuality was, um, we ended up watching almost the entirety of Community, which is great, because there's like, there's uh, non-neurotypical people in that and stuff like that. But there's a character in that, the Dean, who like, there's one whole episode where, he starts it like he's asked to be the token gay character and it's a running joke through most of the series that gay doesn't even begin to cover it mm. and and it's just dealt with really really well and I've highlighted that to both of them I'm like that's really good the way they do that you know mm. um likewise uh Schitt's Creek is another one again mm. which is and it's I think it's where you get a comedy series where the relationships for the most part, like, you know, the, the, if they're more positive, then you're reflecting something positive. But also, I suppose the other thing actually I'm really taking away from today is 
that thing of, uh, yeah, it's it's good to couch it in that, but they need to be aware sometimes it's not going to be positive. It's going to yeah. be a mess. You're going to yeah. need help. So you better ask. Anyway, I'll stop talking, but thank you very much for that. That's it. It's been really interesting to hear. I'm so glad. Thanks, Thanks for the question. Sister. And we might have time for one more question if anyone has one. Speak now, forever hold your peace. <laughs> There's um, one Q&A um, from Sandy. Oh, actually, yeah, a really important one. Can you tell us how we sign up for Evolve School and what kind of pricing it might be? Sure, yeah. So um, I haven't decided exactly when it's opening. So if you um, go to sarahsproul.com forward slash evolve, there is a little sign up page there just so that when I decide when it's going to be, I um, I can let you know. Um, and I think the way I'll do it, because I haven't even decided on all the details yet, I'll do a um, classic thing. You know, when, you, when you're choosing a school for your kid, you go to an information evening. Well, I'm going to run information evenings, I've decided. So you can get uh, information on the price and how long it will go for and um, what you can expect and whether it's right for you, because it may not be right for, for some parents. So I think to do it justice, um, the information even is going to be the way to go and it will be virtual it'll be on zoom so I you know unfortunately we won't be able to make bad coffee and eat dry biscuits but um, I think an information evening could be super fun and um, and it will give me a chance to do a little bit of um, teaching as well just to give everyone an outline of what the school involves and my philosophy because not everyone can cope with the fact that we talk about hard things inside the Evolve School and that I recommend that families talk about hard things at home. So um, I hope that's helpful. So sarahsproul.com forward slash Evolve. And you can bring your own biscuits. Yeah. <laughs> and a glass of wine if you want, since you'll be sitting on your own couch. Now you're talking. <laughs> no worries. Listen, thank you so much, Sarah. That's just been really educational. And I just like have a sense of peace after talking to you mm -hmm. and, and just kind of calmness and stuff. And I really hope that others have mm -hmm. that as well. So, um, oh, we just have one last question, I suppose, before mm -hmm. we go. Um, anyone see Big Mouth on Netflix? Would you let your kids watch it? I haven't seen that myself. I've seen the ads. It seems to be like it's a cartoon for adults as such yeah it is a cartoon for adults yeah. um, I've watched every episode but I've watched a few do you know I really like it and this is actually a bigger question than just do we let our probably teenagers watch Big Mouth before they turn 18 and I have a personal opinion on that um, this is not my professional advice but what I know from personal experience is that there are kids who want to watch things that are rated above their age range. And it that is an amazing opportunity to negotiate with them. Because if it's something that you can maybe watch one or two episodes ahead and you go, well, actually, most of the stuff in this, yes, is about sex. And you can say, well, actually, this gives me a chance to sit next to my kid on the couch while this is happening. Then I have done that in the past. And um negotiate that yeah okay let's let's watch the first episode and um, I agree that we'll watch it together and then we'll assess whether it's suitable and what suitable is can mean a whole load of different things and I think the thing is there are different types of kids and there are different types of parents and there'll be some like four 
14-year-olds who um, want to watch Big Mouth and want to watch it so much that they will be willing to compromise and allow a parent to sit on the couch with them. And then that gives you an amazing opportunity to have their ear for things if there's something you don't agree with in this show. But um, there will be other kids that just won't tolerate that and uh, will just say no. And there'll be other kids that will sneak behind your back and get the password for your Netflix account and watch it anyway without you. So let's be realistic about this. And um, one of the principles I work with really is that this idea of protecting children and shielding them from things um, doesn't work that well in my experience because if a child really wants to get around some sort of parental controls or something, they will get around it. Um, they have the internet, they can Google. I have personal experience of this in my family. And so what I'm learning is to be open to what my child wants to do and to use it as an opportunity to dialogue and negotiate rather than be authoritarian about it and say, um, no, this is not the right thing to do. So I hope that's helpful. I think, yeah, kids are sneaky and they know a lot more about tech than we do. Mm, yeah. Sneaky, sneaky, sneaky. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Um, brilliant. Listen, thank you so much. Remind us of your Instagram handle again. I am Sarah Sproul. Perfect. Yeah. So everyone um, pop over to Sarah. There's lovely educational content on there. And again, little snippets of your podcast as well. So it's lovely mm. um, to do. Um, thanks to all the audience. First live podcast this year, which feels weird. We're already in January. It's a weird start to a new year but look here we are um thanks to all the listeners as well please um pop over to apple rate and review if you want or where you can follow over on spotify you can send me a dm over on twitter and instagram the same handle for both is glow west podcast and we will chat to you next week thank you bye